everybody, and welcome to another episode of Chatting with Kathy. I am Kathy Kelly, and I am so excited for today's episode because one of my very good friends and uh, personalities on the show I do with Francia Raisa called What the Francia is my guest this week. You guys probably know him if you follow me at all. His name Lo Von Roof. He is a celebrity stylist. He has dressed everyone uh, from Ricky Martin to Jana Kramer, country singer, to Mike the Miz. He has dressed them all. He's even dressed me for the Critics' Choice Awards, and he did a dang good job. I loved my outfit. He has uh, just been really successful, especially recently, uh, but it has not always been an easy path, which you will hear today. After the interview, we will have a Q&A as always, but without further ado, my chat with Lo Von Roomf. I'm here with Lo Von Roomf, aka Lo Von Romper. As I like to call you. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. Actually, I'm so wait. I'm so happy that you're here in my place. Yeah, we're filming this from Lowe's couch. He yeah. just cooked an incredible dinner. I I had no idea that you were a little chef. I um. That's like my little secret. I love to cook. I love to throw it down in the kitchen. So. This podcast is all about how you got your start. It's meant to be super inspirational um, for people that might be listening. And I really admire you because you've created something completely on your own. You didn't have family that was in the industry helping you. For people that don't know, you are a celebrity stylist. And I just love one of the stories that you told me was how you got your start. And you used to lie to people telling them that you're older so that you could get a job. Yeah, uh, the thing is, I didn't have anyone in the industry, and I feel like the question everyone asks me is like, like, Lo, how did you get your start, or how did you, you know, break in, or did you have a handout, or something? And honestly, like, I, I really didn't. Mm-hmm. The story of, that I shared with you that one time about how um, I lied about my age um, is, uh, I was super young, and the phrase, like, fake it till you make it, I really strongly believe in. You took that literally? <laughs> yeah, like, I want to get that tattooed on me in, like, Latin, about on my lower back, like, fake it till you make it, because it really helped me so much in my career. So, long story short, um, I, I knew that I loved fashion, I knew I wanted to be a stylist, but I know that certain people that I was reaching out to what like celebrities and like these big brands or magazines, they wouldn't give me the time of day if they knew my real age. So I, I lied. I told them I was much older and I conducted myself like a little adult who was, you know, pushing on 30, but I was really, you know, barely not even allowed to drink yet. You know, 21, I didn't even have a business license. I just pretended like I did. I just pretended I had an office. I didn't have an office yet. I really faked a lot. And then age was a big thing. So, yeah, I, I landed some great deals by saying I was older and I would, you know, deepen my voice when I went into meetings and things like that. And I just conducted myself way more uh, in a mature fashion. So, like that. And um, I, people took me more seriously, which is crazy. Um, and then later on, though, there is, like, truth to, like, faking it age-wise and age discrimination. Because I spoke with a client. I landed a great deal. We did this this water campaign. Um, and this 
person ended up saying like, we wouldn't have brought you on or trusted you if we had known how old you are. So at the end of the day, we're glad, but now we're going to keep, I was like, are you going to fire me now? And they're like, no, we're going to, we'll still keep you on it. We just, I'm, we're glad you lied. Essentially. I've since then come clean with like all my clients. They now know, but, um, it was weird cause I would be celebrating like my 25th birthday and getting like dirty 30 birthday cards and, <laughs> and you know, clients taking me out like, Oh, you hit 30. And you know, I was not even, I was just approaching my mid twenties. Um, so it was kind of weird, but like now I'm, I feel feels good to come clean, but I will still to this day not tell people my age. I still always hesitate. Um, that's just a weird thing. Now I want to be younger, but... Um, you don't look a day over 18. You are buttering my biscuit. <laughs> Kathy <laughs> Kelly knows what to say to like win my heart and get another dinner at my house. Oh, yay! And, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I now want to look young and feel young and stuff, but... I'm getting actually through people like Kathy and we have a mutual friend, Francie and like all these um, people and I'm in my mid twenties, like, or late twenties. I don't know, like 20, I'm 27, but I feel like uh, I am more comfortable and safer about it. I feel more comfortable in my yeah. own skin. Now I'm like, all right, I'm 27. Like, that's okay. Like I'm, Own it. I'm owning it finally, but this is like literally on, only owning in the last six months. Dude. Okay. So my birthday's coming up in a couple weeks. And I am so excited to turn 27. Like, you have no idea. I feel like I'm finally an adult. 27 is not old. No, it's not old. I mean, 20, like, well, they say, you know, um, your 30s is the new 20s, your 40s is the new 30s, whatever. So if you're 27, that's like you're 17. Like, you know, just subtract 10 off of that and feel. I, I feel like uh, it's all a state of mind, too. Because in my mind, I feel like I'm 64. I was so. going to say, we're kind of old grandpas, as you like to call it. Oh, geez. Oh, and you and I are, well, almost 27 and 27, going on 42, 64, whatever age it is, going to bed at 10 p.m. And <laughs> I know. I was like, Kathy, we should do this podcast. I'm going to get pretty sleepy. I'm sitting here <laughs> with, like, an old lady blanket over my lap with, like, whiskey. <laughs> Like a little grandpa, like all I need is like a pipe. Like I'm just sitting here on my couch, like wrapped in a blanket with whiskey. Like this is my life. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, me either. I love being this age and I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> but anyway. So getting back to styling, how did you realize that that's what you wanted to do? I know that you were into fashion and you had many, many other uh, career goals at one point. I know. Well, um, as I've told you, like I wanted to be so many things, but I think like if you're, <laughs> if you're an artist out there, if you're thinking you want to be a fashion stylist, really know why you want to be a fashion stylist. Cause a lot of people just love the idea of it. And I've had, I've been through a lot of assistants that once they go on the jobs with me there, it is glamorous. There are some perks to it. It is cool. Like, yay, you get to know celebrities that wears off in like 2.5 seconds and it's a hard job. So Really know what you want to do and the, for the right reasons, because once you invest that time, like you're not going to be able to get it back. But anyway, before I even became a stylist, I am super creative, so I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be um, killer wheel trainer, killer, which is why we bought it. I love me a good orca. Um, I love Blackfish documentary if you haven't seen it, and I just love like sea life. So like, yeah, I wanted to be a whale trainer. I wanted to be a politician. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to be a model. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a lot of things. All of it centering around like the artistic world. I even wanted to be politician. Like, isn't necessarily artistic though. I think you really need to put on a good show. Oh. So and it's like I mean. 
that essentially is like you're putting up such a front and yeah. and I love public speaking and I love like being a man of the people type of you know like I was in politics in the sense of like ASB I was ASB president every year like yeah. I loved that whole world so then everyone thought I would just naturally go into that but no um I ended up going into fashion but I just kind of um I always tended to gravitate towards the arts and and clothing in particular and I wasn't trained for it. I didn't like go to school for it. I was a communications major and I just honestly had my one opportunity and that's like what opened a small little door and then I kicked it down from there. Yeah. So, and that one opportunity was being on I was doing like modeling and stuff at the time and like not like super serious modeling. Like I would take a gig here and there like, you know, and get paid a little bit. And that would just, like, supply my going out money for the – or pay my rent for the week. When you were in college, right? Yeah, this is why I was in college or, like, like not going to college, essentially. I was, like, <laughs> pissing away my tuition money um, and, and not taking it seriously. But, yeah, and then I remember I got called on set for a gig for, like, jeans and to, like, model for it. And I was excited. It was, like, 400 bucks. Well, the stylist – yeah, 400 bucks in that time. Even now I get excited for any money now. <laughs> But because um, I've hit rock bottom, so like every dollar is like appreciated at this point. <laughs> but um, anyway, I ended up going to this gig, and the stylist did not show up on set, and I was uh, the photographer was like super pissed about it, and uh, basically I just said, you know, I'd love to style it, and um, I could style it. The clothes are here. Can I just put it all together? And I was always, you know, dressing my friends and stuff. Um, so he's like, okay, like this punk, go go for it. So I ended up styling it. It, it went well. Like, the people looked great. It was jeans and, and, and other things to style, and I and ended up looking great. So fast, uh, flash forward to about six months later, I got a call from this photographer who I thought forgot about me, and uh, he was wanting to book me for a gig, and I was like, sweet, a modeling gig, another 400 bucks or something, and he actually wanted me to, uh, to style it. It was He was wanting me to pull things as a stylist. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did it. And my first um, editorial, it was my first spread. And it actually was for Nylon Magazine. So, I mean. Huge. Nylon is one of the top magazines still in publication. So, for me, I didn't even realize. I was like, Nylon, like, I'm not familiar. I knew, like, um, Star Magazine and Globe. Like, I wasn't even really invested in those magazines either. So, I didn't really know how cool this was. But. It ended up being an awesome project, and and I had my first images for technically now, we can call it my book, my website. I had legs to stand on. I did, and you could honestly do this nowadays and not necessarily be a nylon magazine, but, like, this, like, L.A. is, like, there. you could literally, like, sneeze and, like, it will touch a model. <laughs> like, everyone is a model. Everyone is a photographer, an actor, or something in the business. So it's not hard to find beautiful people to shoot with. But that gives you so much more cred because anyone can be a stylist. I'm doing air quotes right now. Anyone can be a stylist and like just put, you know, forever 21 clothes on an Instagram model, like having a spread in nylon magazine. I feel like there are a lot of publicists who work years and may never get to that point. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. And from then, like, uh, I started to really, um, network my ass off to be really honest i networked and i i never burnt a bridge to this day um and it was really important for me so once i established that relationship at nylon um i remember i got i went um i used to go to chateau marmont which is um a bar over in the hollywood area 
Um, I used to live across the street from it, and I hated um, everyone getting out of there at like two a.m. Mm-hmm. just being so noisy. And I'm like, I just want to sleep. Well, I um I didn't live across, but I was still <laughs> I was living. You were one of the two a.m. people. <laughs> I was one of the two a.m. people, but I remember I used to go there all the time, and um I I had like twenty five dollars in my checking account. I was young and just I was obsessed with this place. So you could buy one drink. I could buy one. Yeah, that's literally. <laughs> One drink at Chateau. It's like the like most expensive, like the home of the $25 Bloody Mary. Anyway, so I went there and I would just order like a coffee because I, I knew I couldn't get alcohol because it would like, my card wouldn't go through. Um, <laughs> so I'd get iced coffee and I'd sit there and I would wait for people to get there and try and strike up conversations and hope that someone was in the industry. Wow. So I would be there so much that the staff started to know me. The waiters started to know me. They actually liked me. I would bring them, like, little, like, treats and stuff. And, like, they were actually really cool with me. But I I ended up making some friends that happened to be in the industry. Yeah. And it not necessarily – I wasn't hanging out with Nicole Kidman at Chateau Marmont. But, like, I got to know people that were working on indie projects and things. So I – I kind of started to like network and build my little LA family from the age of 20 or actually I started doing that when I was like 18 all the way through um, my early twenties. And I, I got really good contacts and I remember going to Louis Vuitton and buying uh, a fragrance or a keychain or buying like a, I went to Burberry and I would buy their scented candles. And this is stuff I've actually never shared with anybody, but I would buy these like luxury gifts. And like after I would meet with certain people, um, that I made friends with at Chateau Marmont or at the Polo Lounge, I would always send them like a handwritten thank you note. I'd attach my business card and send them like this candle from Burberry or this Louis Vuitton keychain. I was like getting credit cards to buy the stuff. I was had no money yeah. at all. Like I was only able to do this stuff like through like bullshit essentially. Yeah. Like I'm sending these luxury gifts. I I don't even have enough money to like get dinner. I'm eating top ramen. Like. So, but I, I built those strong contacts and those people trust me and I look established again. I faked it until I made it. It's about investing in your career. And I feel like mm-hmm. so few people are willing to do that nowadays, even though that was a little bit of a fake means. I think yeah. that that's incredible because there are so many times when I've been nervous about flying somewhere, or skipping work or something to do an opportunity that I know is going to further my career. And that's just validation that it, things like that does work. Yeah, and it was one of those things where I would meet these people, we'd become sort of friends, um, we'd hang out, and they would say, like, I have a great opportunity, like, hopefully we can connect. And nine times out of ten, anyone that says there's something we could work together on, it's going to fall through. Um, But I would always end up just following up with that person, being very persistent, and calling them, checking in, keeping the relationship. I'd send them, like, a thoughtful gift, even if it was just, like, a macaroon or cookies or something. Like, i do pretty much anything just to to show them that I was interested and I cared. And I had so many clients tell me like, you're so persistent and, and you, uh, I couldn't get you out of my head because you were sending thank you notes or fragrances or something. Balloons, or a singogram. Yeah. <laughs> I know I was that person, but honestly, like it made an impression and, and on those people. And I looked at it like I was, again, like you said, investing in my career and, and the, for the fashion world, sending something, some sending a fashionable gift is memorable and it, it stuck with people. So I think any facet of the industry too, whether it's being a stylist, being a host, being an actress, um, musician, so many people work for free for so long. And I know that that's something that you did 
uh, you were actually investing money. You were spending money to work. Um, how did that affect you and how did you kind of overcome that? It's so funny because even to the t- today, like I've done campaigns, I've worked with tons of talent and I feel like I've in a sense, like I've finally finding my stride in my career. Um, and there are still those times when I have to take gigs that are not paying the best. That's part of the business. Thank God you're doing what you love. Um, but for me to kind of overcome that, you have to know your value. You need to know your worth. And it, and people will pay for good product. And and I looked at myself like a product, and I still do to this day. So I started, even though there's a 100 stylists that would probably style that person for free, I come with the price, and I also provide the best quality work. I, and I made sure that, like, if you were styled by me, it was a complete lifestyle change. Like, you were, I was going to help you with everything from beauty tips to, like, relationship. I will be a confidant <laughs> to you. I will make sure that you look impeccable on the carpet. You're, you'll be organized in life. Like, I became so much more than just a stylist. Yeah. And honestly, once you put that value on yourself and you feel like, why can't I have, like, why shouldn't I get paid for this? And you'll know that moment. You'll you'll know it organically. It will come to you in your career, and you'll be like, "Wait a minute! Like I can't even put gas in my tank, and this cli- you know, and this client, you know, is is having a hard time wanting to pay for uh, whatever you know commercial or styling gig or red carpet." Once you put your value, they will come. Some will fall off, and you'll it will be hard. But at the end of the day, like people will pay for quality, and people want the best, yeah. and especially in LA, especially in New York. So I started to know my worth and, and luckily I kept my clients and they were okay with it. And I told them where I was coming from and I was real. I was like, listen, I'm struggling. Like I want to be able to style you and do my best work. But if I can't even get like gas in my car and you know, and I'm, and I'm broke as a joke, like that's not (laughs) cute. No one wants a broke stylist. Like I need to like make money. So you know, I started to do that and I, I didn't sign with an agency. I didn't have a manager, um, until like recent years, but, um, yeah, I just had to hustle and like, know, know my worth. And And that's, that's so hard to doing it on your own without other people Mm. helping you get there. Yeah, it is. It is really hard. Um, and also rewarding. Super rewarding. And the other thing that I notice, and this is like a tip to anyone out there who wants to be in fashion, is like there is no one, there are no stylists that go out like wanting you to like succeed because the market is so tough as it is anyway. But I truly say this that I want everyone to succeed. I think there's room in the fishbowl for everybody. And I would meet stylists, I would partner with them, I'd reach out to some of the top stylists in Los Angeles and ask if I could you know, collaborate with them, not assist them. I wanted to collaborate because I wanted them to see that I was coming in like a strong force. Okay. And they were always really surprised to partner with anybody. But surprisingly, when you, when you put yourself out there and say like, let me help you with this, a lot of people are down for some help and some aren't, some aren't receptive to it. But I started partnering with people or just like, Helping a, a, a fellow stylist out. I met this one stylist. She's great. And um, she was telling me, you know, explaining how difficult it was to get shoes, uh, specific high heels for, you know, this this shoot she was doing. I happened to know a great place to get heels. Um, so I helped her out. And, and I delivered them. And she was felt really happy. And, and now her and I, to this day, this was five years ago, I'm still getting like, hey, I'm going to be flying out. Do you want to take care of my client? And I trust her with mine. 
that's unheard of in the fashion world and and that trust is built so i just look at it like want the best for other people and don't be afraid afraid to reach out to those that are more successful or just as successful as you um you're going to learn something and you'll build a relationship and those relationships need to be built in fashion because everyone is so cutthroat it gets old quick and you talked about networking. You've amassed a really cool list of clients. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about one of your first clients was Ricky Martin. Mm-hmm. Now you work with our friend, Francie Raisa, who's also on the podcast. Yeah. Um, you work with Jana Kramer, yeah. a ton of other celebrities. Is there anyone that you haven't worked with yet that you would love to style? Yes. Actually, I can answer that quick because I am obsessed with Janet Jackson. Okay. I love Janet so much. Um, she, I think that she's the only one. Actually, I got to meet her once at a Burberry store in Beverly Hills, and I was like shaking. I couldn't even. <laughs> I was a mess. I never. I don't get that way, but like no one shakes me to my core. But Janet, I'm a super fan, and I just love what she's done. You can talk to anyone. How would you be I nervous know. to talk? I got so scared. I was like sweating. I got like the nervous sweat, and I was like sweating profusely. And then, like, I just look awkward. My self-tanner was coming off, and I was just, like, a mess. So I didn't end up, of course, approaching her. And then she's been with the same stylist forever. She's an icon. Um, But, like, that's, like, if I could even, like, suggest a shoe for her to wear. Or a pasty. Or a pasty. Yeah. (laughs) I would even be happy, like, oh, here's some, like, Spanx. Or, I mean, whatever. Like, I don't care. She's just incredible. So her... She's one of my top ones, and then also, I'd have to say, I'm trying to think, besides Janet Jackson, um, maybe like, uh, oh, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is such a, like, incredible actress, force, old Hollywood. I just love everything she embodies, and I think she, I mean, she still has a great look, you know what yeah. I mean? She's so, super young looking and um, and still classic, so she would be, like, incredible to work with. That's definitely, like, a... I hope, fingers crossed, praying to the fashion gods. Those were two very interesting choices that I would have never thought you would say. Really? Yeah. Wait, do you have anyone who I who you assume? I'm, Britney no. Spears, Beyonce. No. I mean, I love Beyonce, but I don't, I don't necessarily. <laughs> I don't want to style her. Tyrone's her stylist. He does a great job. And I, but Jane Fonda is like close. I just love everything about her as an actress, as a woman, as a humanitarian. And Janet, it's just like, she's like everything to me. Yeah. Janet's like. Yeah, she's the one. Love her. And a lot of your bread and butter is music videos. So I feel like that does fit in with it. Do you have um, kind of a style that you gravitate towards since you do work on everything? You work on music videos, you work on commercials, you've worked on red carpet styling. Um, What do you like? Uh, Well, luckily, there's this is another way, like, for, for my technique of styling as opposed to others, there are some stylists that have really like known a market and ran with it. So there's, you know, one stylist in particular that comes to mind. And if you think of any rap video, she's probably done it. If any rap artist or hip hop R and B, like the girl has worked with any artist like that. And she knows it. Um, for me, I'm all over the place. I have country clients. I've, I've worked on hip hop and rap videos. I've worked with B.O.B. like in random, like Mila J and Janae Oko and like, people like that. And then I work with Janet Kramer and Brantley yeah. Gilbert and Blake Shelton. So it's like, and wrestlers now <laughs> and wrestlers. Yeah. And then Kathy Kelly, you know, I got, I got to work with Mike, the Miz and, and, and Maurice, which is great. Like that they're incredible. It's like, seriously, like all across the board. And I love all of it. 
I have to say, well, your question was my favorite, or what's the one thing? Uh, what style do you gravitate what towards? What style do I gravitate towards? I have to say, when uh, whatever client I work with, no matter if it's like a world wrestling client, or <laughs> a rap client, or a pop singer or country artist, I never want that person to go back and think, what was I thinking, or what, you know, what the hell is wrong yeah. with me, or regret a choice. So for me, even though there's some great trends that I love, there are some, like, I have to just, like, not go that route, even if it means going a little safer um, sometimes, because at the end of the day, I want to keep my clients super fashion forward, mm -hmm. but I never want them to have a regret about anything they wore 10, 15 years down the line. So for me, classic aesthetics and my mood boards, and I'm constantly doing my research, um, but fashion is cyclical. It always comes back full circle, and... If I go back into the archives, like, I constantly am looking at, like, 1930s all the way up to 1970s fashion. Those silhouettes, those designs, like, pave the way for what you're going to see at New York Fashion Week next week. Like, it's imperative that you know the fundamentals of fashion and where they came from and who designed it. If you know that, your aesthetic will be classic and you'll never be out of style. You'll be timeless forever. There's so much more that goes into it that I didn't even think of. I'm like, oh, all you have to do is set up an appointment with a studio and yeah. pick out a dress. And yeah, and if it looks good. And honestly, yeah, if it looks good and the girl feels hot, like your job is – you did a good job. But really, though, if you think about it, it's so much thought from, like, down to the hair, to the makeup, to the shoe, to the jewelry, to which designer that person is wearing, um, to how they're wearing. Like, it's just a lot that goes into it. So for me, like – I'm constantly doing my homework and, and I mean, I have books on fashion history for seeing trends and mm -hmm. kind of predicting what other people might be wearing, whether it's a red carpet event and trying yeah. not to style your client in the same thing that you think everyone else is going to be in. Oh, totally. I mean, and I've been laughed at for certain things that I predict, like trend forecasting is a big part of my business. Um, like brands will bring me on and like want to know, like, what do you think is hot? And I remember saying, I don't know. Like, I love overalls. Like, I think they're super cute. I love it. Like, I loved them in the 90s. I was an Oshkosh Bagosh kid, and, like, I just love the look of them. And I remember seeing them also international fashion in Tokyo. Um, I'd been doing research online and saw a lot of them in the boutiques in Tokyo. And I, I remember reaching out to boutique owners and asking them, like, what they're selling a lot of in their store. That's yeah. part of what I do, too, is, like, my little secret is I reach out to international, like, small retail boutiques and ask, like, what they're pushing. Because then it will trickle into the United States about a year later. So Tokyo has been pushing overalls, like, in 2000 you know, 10. So of course in 2012, they'd probably hit. And that's basically, I remember talking to an editor from a magazine and they wanted me to do an article on spring trends. And I mentioned overalls and they were like, you're out of your mind. That's yeah. terrible. And so ugly. And no one wants to wear overalls and they're, they blew up everywhere. Long yeah. Which was great. <laughs> but I was like, I knew it. Cause like those people in Tokyo have been wearing them and it's just like, yeah. It ended up Low and behold. Low and behold. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I love the double entendre. So yeah, just staying up on trends and like, you know, and, and kind of doing your homework and, and for me keeping it classic and that like helps. So I love fashion trends. I love being, you know, uh, experimenting with fashion cause it's supposed to be fun, yeah. but like really keeping it classic is like key for me. Is there a trend that you wish never existed? Oh, a trend I wish that never existed. Um, 
Like one that I tried or just in general? In general. I'd have to say, um, yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, like you could wear whatever, I think fashion re- represents freedom to me. But, like, one that is really hard for me to digest is showing the outside of your pockets with jean shorts. <laughs> like, I don't understand it. I don't really care for it. I don't like it. Yeah. And it's just, like, these exposed pockets and the, the girls, you know, and I have friends that are guilty of this. And it's, I think I'm guilty of it. <laughs> and it's just, like, they're so short and this, like, total exposed pocket is showing. Yeah. It's a trend that's just like look. It's just like hard for me to look at because yeah. it's like it. It's not appealing to the eye. Like just cut the po- pocket out at that point because you're never going to use you, it. No, I do use the pockets when no I have that. I put my hands in it. Okay. All right. Well, she uses it for her little hands. Okay. <laughs> sure. All right. So maybe it is functional. I think that one is a trend. I can't think of anything that I seriously like hate um, trend wise. Um, Mm, I'd have to say uh, chokers. No, I love chokers at some point. Depends Depends on the choker. Yeah, no, I'm pretty good with every... Rat tails, but that's not a fashion trend. Like a mullet, that was making a comeback for a bit. Not a fan of that at all. But everything else, like, I have fun with. I I have to give that one more thought because that's, like, a hard one for me to, like, pinpoint. Come back to me. Yeah. If you ever, like, if you feel it mid-rest yeah. of this, this podcast, you think about it. Um, I want to know, do you feel more pressure to look good and feel styled yourself being a stylist? I do. I do. And, like, depending on, like, um, where I'm at with with who I'm meeting – like, I feel like I have to, like, change for them. So if I'm going to be doing, like, an, a hip-hop artist, like, I'll have, like, a little bit more swag in my style. Yeah. I know. But luckily, here's the thing. I think I get a get-out-of-jail-free card as a stylist because sometimes, like, I just don't care and I look completely homeless. And because I'm a stylist, or I wear weird shit that, like, no one would ever want to wear. Yeah. And because I'm a stylist, I get away with it. <laughs> I really do. And people are like, but I, at the same time, I, I think it's important for me to always look on point for certain things. Like yeah. I'd rather be overdressed for any situation than underdressed. You know, I went to like a WWE match with um, Kathy, which was amazing. It was my first time. <laughs> like, wait, that was with me. <laughs> yeah. And Francia too. Yeah. And Francia, our friend went, it was so much fun. And at the same time we were doing this, like I was wearing like this metallic silver like leather jacket I was dying and like so uncomfortable but it was like a look and I wanted to just rock it and like even though I was super uncomfortable so I just yeah sometimes um with certain situations I do feel as a stylist I need to up my game it's like would you go to a hairstylist that had terrible split ends and like a bad dye job like um maybe because then you know that she is the only good hairstylist and she doesn't trust anyone else with her hair but but she had, like, the ugliest cut? Yeah, because then she probably didn't do it herself. Oh, well, that's... Kathy is a glass half-wool person. But, um... Okay. But, yeah. or But for me... I actually don't trust uh, anyone cutting my hair. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like, I just look at it. If you are going to get a stylist, yeah, they should look the part. Mm-hmm. And, like, be dressed at least fashionable and, and nice, you yeah. know? So, yeah, I do feel a little bit more pressure coming from being a stylist. especially actually the most pressure is like when i see my family and because everyone in my family knows i'm a stylist so if i go to like the reunions and stuff they all expect yeah. me to like look like i just stepped off a red carpet and i'm like in sweats so they're they're always like well that's not how a stylist should dress and i'm like whatever like i'm with my family i should be able to 
you know, look homeless and be okay with it. <laughs> be in sweatpants and no one judge me. Yeah, exactly. So. That's how I feel on a daily basis. Don't judge me for being in sweatpants. I know. I love my sweatpants. Luckily, like, that's a trend right now. Like, oh yeah, like wearing like the the what are they sweatpants that are like uh, jeans and like they have like elastic band jeans that are made from sweat material but they look like jeans like those are everywhere and they're so comfortable and like I've never seen so much Lululemon in my life mm-hmm. like people love them and yeah. it's actually like okay because like fitness is like a big thing right now so I just feel like. Wearing your cute sweats and, and investing in, like, cute workout gear is, like, everyone's uniform right now, even I'll, if you're not working out. I'll wear that to a job interview slash date and, and yeah. see if it works out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just throw on your cute little running shorts or your little, like, Lululemon sweatpants. Do you like my jean sweatpants? <laughs> you will love them. Yeah. You will, yeah, marriage material. I do have some fun questions okay. for you. I'm nervous. They're, they're shifting gears a lot. You ready? Yeah. What is your favorite kind of cereal? My favorite kind of cereal, um, off the top of my head, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So good. What's that's my favorite, honestly. What's your middle name? Oh, I don't really reveal this often, but it's Thomas. Huh. I know. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and my real name is actually Lawrence, but I go by Lo. Mm-hmm. It's Lorenzo in Spanish. Anyway, oh, yeah. yeah. Lawrence Thomas. One of the things that I didn't know about you and wasn't smart enough to put together was your Instagram name, Style LVR. That's the best. LVR, Love on Roomf, and then Lover, Style Lover. Yeah, my name is an acronym for, for Lover, which I think that was really smart parenting, like... Uh, strategy on my mom and dad's part. Did they do that on purpose? Actually, my mom, well, now she says she did, but I don't believe her. Because it would have been LTVR. Which sounds like a great, like, network. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, drop the Thomas, so now it's just LVR, but it does look like lover, so. But it just happens to be my name, for real. (laughs) I know, just people don't believe it. It's, even when I say it, they're like, and, um, Lo Von Rumpf, it's capital V, capital R, the way you spell it, too. So, it does... Yeah, it's true. Style lover. Follow me. (laughs) (laughs) What was the biggest moment in your career where you were like, whoa, I get to do this? Uh, I think it was actually fairly uh, recent, but I, I got, um, I booked a gig uh, in New York and uh, for the first time they they wanted me to just kind of answer questions like this. And I remember I showed up to set and I didn't realize, I mean, I knew I was going to ask, they were going to ask me a couple questions, but when I got there, they, I'm so used to like tending to people and tending to clients and like doing whatever I need to make sure they're happy. And I, I got to this set and it's all set up beautifully. So I thought, well, they're going to ask me a couple questions, but at the end of the day, like they must have like an incredible interview lined up. Um, and I know they interview a lot of people all the time. And I realized, like, it was for me. And I was so excited. Like, it was, like, one of those pinch me moments. And they're asking me, like, what I wanted for breakfast. And, like, it was just weird. Because, like, that that never happens. Like, I don't live like that. Like, why would anyone want to interview me type of a thing? Um, what do you want for breakfast? Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Okay, I'll yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah. They were, like, want- wanting to know what I wanted for breakfast, making sure I was comfortable. <laughs> And I, I remember like taking a moment and I was, I was at the Time Inc. building and at the, and at the studio there. 
and uh, they had all these cameras set up and everything. And I just remember like wanting to just take in that moment. And I was like, wow, I guess I like I made it in a sense, but at the same time, I just felt so happy. Yeah. So I think that part. And then at the end of the day, like anytime I get to travel for anything, like I just have to pinch myself because I never for one moment want to be like, oh, I hate that I have to go to Atlanta, Georgia or to yeah, Nashville. Cool. It's really cool. And it's like I should be like excited about it. So and I am. Yeah. So I think I always have those aha. Like, I think I made it. Did I make it moments all the time? Like, even you doing this podcast, I'm like, you really want to interview me? <laughs> like, that's like, wait, I think I might have made it because it just feels really cool. And, yeah, I'm, I guess I get so caught up in work that I don't think about stuff like that. So, yeah. But it's that drive, too, of always wanting to achieve more, which I, I totally get. Oh, gosh. I'm so hard on myself. I'm my own worst enemy, my own worst critic. I'm yeah. so hard on myself. So, but yeah, I have positive people around me and then I get to do cool stuff like a podcast, which is awesome. <laughs> and it makes me feel like, you know what, this is what it's all for. And like, I hope you guys are listening and like want to get into the fashion world and not like avoid it at all costs because it's fun. I swear it's, it has its bad, but there's a hell of a lot of good. This is usually my last question, okay. but I want to know for people that are listening who might want to fall in your footsteps or get involved with fashion, what advice would you have for them? advice that I would have for those people. Um, basically I think the one thing is, you know, uh, really see if you're passionate about it, do your homework. Um, and the first thing is throw yourself in. Once you figure out if you like it, just balls to the wall, go in and do it. Go to a PR showroom, go to one of these brands that you might like and know it. And that's actually what I did. I, I found a brand that I loved. It happened to be Burberry. I've mentioned Burberry a lot during this interview, but, um, how much are they paying you? I know. <laughs> Go get a Burberry trench coat. But, um, I love that brand so much. I love UK fashion specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started working for them. I knew I worked retail, hated it, but I got to know the retail world very inside and out. I ended up working for their PR department, but, um, no. So if you have to start off in a boutique and like get to work on your people skills and stuff, like, I think that's, honestly a really smart decision because I reference my retail experience constantly yeah. in my job to this day. Um, and then also I'd say, um, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Know that you're going to have to work for free. Um, cause I did for a years lot. a lot. And, oh yeah. And if you're an actor, a model or anything to do with uh, arts in LA, just know you're going to work for free a lot. That's just how it, the business works. Mm -hmm. Um, and be okay with that and just n always have your goal in mind. And then um, I have to say, besides doing your homework, knowing, like throwing yourself into working, um, work, trying to get a job in a retail environment to get yourself acclimated with the fashion world. And I always like to say, find one designer or find one genre and really know it inside and out. Really make that... Be an expert about it. So for me, it's UK fashion. I know it. I love it. I could answer any question about it pretty much. And specifically about Burberry, like I know facts about that company and the history of its design, which has now helped me know the history of all these other designers. But it really helps to be an expert. Know your craft. I think once you know it and you feel confident – you're going to have much more confidence whenever you meet with a client because you have a competitive edge. No one's going to spend time like five hours reading about Valentino like you would. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. So, and, and if you love what you're doing, then you'll enjoy it. So yeah. Um, hypothetical. Mm -hmm. 
if you had a wedgie on a first date, would you pick it? And how would you go about picking it? Oh, wow. Wait. <laughs> like, do, do wedgies happen with guys? Oh, I guess yeah. they happen. Because I usually wear, like, jeans. I haven't had to wear. And I don't wear underwear most of the time. But um, I would totally, you know what? <laughs> I would totally pick it and own it and make it funny. Yeah. Like, just be like, oh, I'm picking my wedgie. Like, oh, I have, you know, I'm eating my underwear. Like, I'd make it a joke. <laughs> Like, <laughs> my ass is hungry. <laughs> you know, like, I would make fun of it because I like to make fun of myself. So I think I would just, like, own it. Kind of like when I – more so than a wedgie. It's like when I we have a booger. Like, I'm just usually like, oh, you know, fox in the hole. Like, I'll just make a joke about it and just, like, pick it. I won't eat it. I'll just, like no. – <laughs> Why would you eat a wedgie? <laughs> no. Or eat a booger. No. <laughs> I but I would definitely I would pick the wedgie and just make it a joke and be upfront about it because if they see you doing it yeah. and it's like undercover it just is that they'll think like is that like your thing do you like to pick your ass your butt like on a regular you know what I mean so I just rather just get it over with rip the bandaid off yeah pull the wedgie out pull the wedgie out I know true words <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that wraps up the podcast, but thank you so much for joining me today. And we also have a shameless plug section. So people want to follow you. If people are interested in seeing your styling work, where can they find all your stuff? Uh, if you want to see my styling work, you can check out my blog and my website, which is, uh, www.lvrstyle.com. And there's a link on my site, and that will take you into the world of style so you can see all the work I do. Um, I have a beauty and fashion blog attached to that. And then if you want to find me on Twitter and uh, or Instagram, you can find me, or Snapchat, you can find me at StyleLVR. Follow me. Well, now I'm curious, are you wearing underwear right now? No, I'm not. <laughs> I am freeballing it. I'm, I'm my little blanket on. Kathy doesn't really, I'm not even wearing pants oh under this blanket. Gosh. I'm so comfortable with her. No, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my sweats, but no, I'm not wearing underwear, especially like if I'm at my place, like, I don't know, but on that that note, thank you so much for joining me, love. (laughs) I loved talking to Lo, even though I get to do it every week. It's always fun having friends on the podcast because I learn so much more about them. Like, didn't know his middle name, which I probably should have because friends. But when Lo originally told me the story about how he lied that he was older to get more credibility in the industry, one, he told it in such a funny way, but two, that was so smart. I cannot tell you how many auditions I went on when I was 16, 17 years old, even now where I'm told I'm too young to do something. And it's really frustrating because especially if if you know deep down you're capable of doing it or you will work your freaking ass off to be ready for an opportunity like that, it's tough being told you're too young. I'm just going to lie from now on and tell everyone that I am 47. I think people will believe me. I want to get into the Q&A portion of the show. I'm going to keep this super brief because I'm kind of cutting it close. We're down to the wire. I wanted to get all of these shows out on 
Thursdays. And it's Thursday night right now as I am recording this. So I have very little time to finish recording this, upload it, make sure the sound's okay, and get it out there. I just want to have the show consistent out every Thursday. So keeping this Q&A brief, let's start with GTS Robin on Twitter asks, Chicago, New York, or Los Angeles? That is a tough question. Obviously, I grew up in Chicago, spent the majority of my life there, and I love it. I love the people. Weather, not always so great. There are a few months a year that are perfect, and the rest of the time it kind of sucks. But Chicago will always have a place in my heart. The food will always have a place in my stomach. New York, I love. Um, As you guys know, I spent a couple weeks out there recently. My mom grew up there. My grandparents lived there. I have a lot of family that's still there. And I love just how hardworking everyone is there, how fast-paced it is. The weather, again, not so great. The public transportation, awesome. I ultimately would love to be bi-coastal so that I could be between New York and Los Angeles. Actually, I wish either that teleportation existed or that a huge earthquake happened and everything in between LA and Chicago and Chicago and New York just fell into oblivion. I don't actually wish that. I wish if that did happen that everyone was safe and that somewhere all those other places existed. It's tough because I want to be in all three places at once. Los Angeles is somewhere that I wanted to move since I was 12 years old, maybe even earlier. I tried to convince my mom to move out here. She said no. Kathy, you're 12, and I have a job in Chicago. I'm not going to move. I think that Los Angeles is such a creative community The answer to the question is all three places for different reasons. So I didn't actually answer your question. I'm sorry, Devin. Next question. (laughs) The Clement W. asks on Twitter, if Joseph Gordon-Levitt somehow got a divorce and was alone at Chipotle, how would you interact with him? I know that this question is a spinoff of something that I said last week. I had a huge crush on Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I would not wish divorce on him. If he was divorced and alone at Chipotle, I would probably not do anything. (laughs) I would awkwardly try to force a smile, and I don't know how to flirt, so I would just get in line order a burrito, and be on my way. I do often see him in real life in the parking lot at work. I wish I had a burrito after so I could just eat my feelings. Final question of the night comes from at the gimmick pod on Twitter, the gimmick podcast run by my friends Soapbox Mark and the hobo. Would you ever bring on at Soapbox Mark, Mark Donica, for your Q&A portion of Chatting with Kathy? 
A couple people wanted someone else to ask me questions on the Q&A portion. And I think that that would be kind of a fun idea. Let me know what you guys think at home. Do you think that would be a good idea? I think it would be cool to have Mark on. So the invitation is open. So definitely maybe. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question this week. And you can always submit more questions for following weeks. Use the hashtag chatting with Kathy, whether you want to ask me personal questions, whether you need advice on work, on dating, on life, on anything. I will answer all of them on the show. Also, thank you to Juan John One who rated the show five stars on iTunes. You are the best. If you guys like the show and if you have 30 seconds of time, I hope you do, please rate and comment on iTunes. It helps other people find the show and it really helps it grow. It helps me out and I will love you forever. Do that. Go to iTunes. Type in Chatting with Kathy. Rate it. Comment. doesn't even have to be a nice comment. It would be great. It would help my self-esteem. Just do it. Until next week, we can also talk on Twitter. You can follow me at Katherine Kelly, and we'll just talk all the time. I'm also on Instagram at Kathy Kelly and on Periscope and Snapchat. Huge thank you again to Lorenzo Von Roop for joining me on today's show. Thank you to AfterBuzz TV, Kevin Undergaro, and Phil Svitek for helping me produce this little podcast of mine. And most of all, thanks to you guys. Make sure to subscribe, and I'll be back with a brand new episode of Chatting with Kathy next week. Bye!